Welcome to Sounds Familiar, a podcast where we discuss two pieces of media that share themes, plot points, or overarching ideas. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to keep up to date with our upload schedule, news, and discussions. Take your seat, grab your popcorn, and silence your cell phones now. Please enjoy the show. Welcome to Sounds Familiar. My name is Caleb. My name's Stephanie. My name's Justin. And this week, I don't have any pithy quotes because it does not feel appropriate. <laughs> I don't know. I think there are some good ones that we could have lifted from these. Uh, yes, they both have their pithy moments, but um, the overall mood does not... They have a certain... Je ne sais quoi? How you say <laughs> Jojo Siwa. <laughs> this week we are discussing uh two movies from mine and stephanie's favorite one of our favorite directors my fave i don't mean to speak for justin i don't know if he's one of his faves oh yeah um baz lerman uh with romeo plus juliet Uh and the great gatsby the great plus gatsby (laughs) (laughs) um Yes. Oh God. I'm I'm so excited for this one. I've been so looking forward to this episode. Um, anyone knows me that knows that I am the horriest whore for Baz Luhrmann and uh, his filmography. Um, hard to pick a favorite. My my favorite favorite is probably Moulin Rouge, which we we will I believe be discussing next month actually. Yes. Um, but these are are my second and third favorite for sure. Um, his other two are pretty good too. Um, Strictly Ballroom, great movie. It's uh, a nice like rom com, so <laughs> a, a little lower stakes than these ones, but still a lot of fun. I would say Australia is probably his weakest one, but it's Buzz Lerman, so it's impossible for it not to be at least entertaining and like visually beautiful. So, um, just a big fan all around. <laughs> um, but we'll 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 save some of those monologues for later. Um, <laughs> so this will be our last episode of Valentine's Month, um, and <laughs> we're closing it on a <laughs> kind of a sad note <laughs> with these two, but that's okay. That's okay. They're they're still quite lovely. We we really hit all the ups and downs <laughs> this month appropriately. I would like to um, point out that almost half of the films featured in our month of romance featured Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio. <laughs> yes, in which he d- dies in every single one of them. Oh my god! You're right. and, uh, yeah. Never yeah. gets to he he finds love and then doesn't get to keep it. Oh man! Thrice denied. <laughs> oh, that is sad. Yep, this is really sad Leo month. Um, we, Someone check on my oh, we, man. We've been enjoying it. I, uh, <laughs> he won his Oscar. He's fine now. That's true. He, he good. Um, he, he doesn't do stuff like this anymore. <laughs> so, but maybe that's just part and parcel of like, once you get past a certain age, you like are no longer cast in romantic roles or something. Which is pretty sad. Now fine, I'll fight a bear. <laughs> Give me my Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it takes, huh? Apparently. <laughs> I have died three times now. Well, by that point, probably many more times. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so, yep, three out of eight. All right. Um, Are we ready to get into Romeo and Juliet? Yes, I believe so. Let's go. Let's do it. 
These violent delights have violent ends, and in their triumph die like fire and powder, which as they kiss, consume. Personal favorite quote. So this <laughs> is my, this is the second time I've seen this movie. Um, I paid attention both times. Oh, um, wow. because, <laughs> because Stephanie made me, made is a strong word. Stephanie would have been um, very sad if he did not pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I still distinctly remembered the first time Caleb watched like the first 10 minutes of this movie, he almost made me question the relationship because he was like, what is that? <laughs> it looks dumb. And it was upsetting, to say the least. I said that? That doesn't sound like me. You, uh, This was only, like, a year ago. What? No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the first time you watched the movie. I'm talking about the first time you saw, like, a little bit of the movie, which was years ago. I'm just going to have to take your word yes, for it. Yes, you will. This I is the kind of thing that. that is burned into my brain. Yeah, I know. You can't You can't do anything to slight Stephanie because she, she she may not be an elephant. She may not remember everything, but she remembers all of some things. <laughs> She's a revenge elephant. That works, yeah. be- that works better as like a joke Revenge-fent. on paper. Revenge-fent. Yeah, yeah. I, the, yes. It, so apparently I talked smack about this movie the well, first time I saw bits from it. it was quite distressing. I think you just saw, like, the first five to ten minutes, and you were like, <laughs> what? Like, and I was so, like, Look, I don't know how long ago guy. it was, but it was when I was young and stupid and did not fully appreciate neither Baz Luhrmann nor Romeo and Juliet. I gotta say, I hope it was something other than the first five to ten minutes, because the first five to ten minutes of this movie fucking rip. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely was the first five to ten minutes. This guy, am I right? Look, I was young and foolish. Yes. That Caleb, let's just put it this way. Caleb has learned more than a lot of people our age about the value of the story in this movie. So <laughs> so we will we will definitely grant him that. I have learned I have learned and forgotten more about valuing story than most people will ever know. <laughs> All right. Forgotten. What? <laughs> Whatever. We'll roast Caleb some more later. <laughs> Never get tired of it. Um <laughs> frankly, we don't do enough of it. <laughs> and frankly, I wish someone other than Stephanie would roast me for once. Because okay, Stephanie buddy. Usually cuts I'll fi- a little close to the bone. <laughs> oh, no. I'll find something. <laughs> Maybe we should just have an episode where we all roast each other, but like specifically about uh, about stuff we do and say on this podcast. Like, I'm sure I'm, my speech patterns will be roast worthy. <laughs> Justin, would you host my roast? Absolutely, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Anyways, so Romeo Stephanie and Juliet. Would not <laughs> Probably not. That's fine. So Romeo was, and Juliet. Uh, this was my first time watching the movie and paying attention. I had seen it one time before, but it was uh, at a party was it in, in high school. school. Yep. Uh, not right. in class. It was at a party in high school, and we were uh, too busy like playing games and hoping we could make out with each other before the. <laughs> I, I honestly assumed it was in it was in drama class. No, surprisingly not. The first time I watched it was. Uh, I mean, this movie is very much in the spirit of a high school party where you're busy playing (laughs) games and hoping that you can make out with each other. So I guess thematically appropriate movie to play. Um, I'm not sure the first time I watched it. Um, I think it may have been near the end of high school, beginning of college, sometime around then. Um... And I also don't remember if it was before or after I saw Moulin Rouge. 
I just remembered that I really, really enjoyed it and was like, this, the, the aesthetic, the music, the drama, I love it. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been a huge fan ever since, seen it many times. Um, I, I definitely count this one among one of my, like, probably like top 10 favorite movies at uh, top 20 at the lowest. Um, as I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Um, and Caleb, I guess you already kind of described your experience. Right. I saw it for the first time yeah. about a year ago and that's yeah, about all I've got to yeah, say. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so... It was probably, like, a Valentine's Day gift to Stephanie or yeah, something. Yeah, I Stephanie think, was like, that's all right. true, I think. I was like, all right, Caleb, we, yeah, like, all right For my president, it. you just got to watch Romeo and Juliet <laughs> yeah. with me. <laughs> right. Right, and it's fun. It's, like, it's kind of hit or miss as a date movie because it's, like, it really gives you the highs, but it also ends on, like, a really depressing note. So it's kind of like, I don't know how horned up I feel right now after all. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, we'll get to... We'll get to that ending, because uh, mm-hmm. uh, I had... Mm-hmm. Uh, as soon as I saw it, I had to message them and be like, this? oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's... Right, it's... Well, not even brutal so much as just, like, emotionally brutal. It's just kind of like, well, I will I will never be happy again, I guess. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, so. I, I, I guess we'll just go ahead and talk about it. Everyone knows how Romeo and Juliet ends. I will just Spoiler. say um, I liked a lot of the, like, updating that they did uh to make it feel modern like all of the swords were guns and <laughs> like they were the <laughs> they literally said the sword gun. on yeah. them yeah uh, sword yeah. dagger but uh watching juliet in a play uh stab herself is like super sad but like it just hits different watching her blow her fucking brains out it's so I mean, to much be fair, dirt. it's not graphic. I know, the but idea it's just is definitely there. That image it's of not... her like looking up with the gun to her head and then yet I know. Shot, you're like that it's... oh that feels different. <laughs> yeah. It's dark. It's yeah. dark. It's dark. And not to be that guy, but every time I see that scene and by both by every time I mean both times, all I can think is that angle is not good. All she's gonna do is just blow off the front of her skull and she's oh gonna God. survive and it's gonna be horrible. Like, <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> yeah, when will we're movies just... ever accurately represent teenage girls we're shooting just, themselves I know. in the we're head? Just, we're just, I'm just supposed to... Uh, the, the story tells me that it killed her, and so I say, okay, it killed her. Uh, yeah, but to um, be fair, like, what what's your chance of accuracy on, like, stabbing yourself? Like, I don't know. That just seems like it could go really poorly, which, too. That's the thing. Stabbing yourself is, like if you think about it, is the worst way to go. It's just the gun on film feels worse. You're not going to die instantly. Yeah, oh, it's God. terrible. Your... Yeah. Um, well, that's fun. Let's rewind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On, on a lighter note, uh, here's here's why I love Baz Luhrmann. Um, one, Rolls every... giant scroll that rolls <laughs> down the hall. No, no, every yeah. every second of this film is oozing style and ballsy mm. directing choices, uh, and I love it. But mm. also, so tasty. we have a Shakespeare adaptation film with Radiohead, Garbage, and the Butthole <laughs> Surfers on the soundtrack. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> right, it's such like a cool combination that of like... I mean, I get that this is the whole shtick of the movie, but it's like very feels very modern, even kind of futuristic in some ways, and and yet has 
still preserves the beautiful Shakespearean language. Um, I, I don't know. It's such a great juxtaposition that just could maybe not work in some scenarios, but works so well in this case. I have some things to say about the delivery of said language, but I don't want to address that at the moment. Sure. We're gonna go. We're gonna go a, a, a little bit chronologically almost okay, here. Okay. Um, in the prologue. Mm. The prologue delivered by a news anchor. Two houses, both alike in dignity. Yes, in Fair Verona, where we lay um, our scene. And when she says something about our two hours play, yes. the movie is the exactly two hours, two hours long. Yep, yep, that was quite intentional. Ooh, they were, they were sticking to their guns on that. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I love it. Um, I, it does the very Baz Luhrmann thing where it opens and closes with something uh, in this case it's, yes. it's with the framing yes. device so in this case it's with the television and the the anchor woman right i'm um, delivering the prologue and the epilogue yes which is funny because after the anchor woman delivers the opening monologue then it's also said again but this time it's like a trailer <laughs> i love it <laughs> two houses both alike in dignity <laughs> i didn't look it up and i should have but i bet you that was the actual trailer <laughs> I mean, that would be so great, like, to show the trailer, and then you're watching the movie, and then it plays again, you're like, hey, wait, what? Like, yeah, it'd, it'd be a shame if it wasn't. I mean, Baz Luhrmann, like, finished the movie, he's like, here, I already cut the trailer for here, you, studio. I made you one, yeah. So, yeah, here you go. I got me thinking, <laughs> maybe that's out. something we should do, uh, so we're better at social media. Maybe we should start throwing up Tweeting the trailers, trailers for these movies before we post the episodes. That's a good idea. <laughs> uh, I mean, I do mm. kind of, like... I have been trying to, like, if something happens to come across my feed, uh, that like we're... Like one perfect shot. Yeah, or, that we're or, which talking about or about to talk about, then I'll I'll retweet it on the account. But you're right. I think we should start, like, maybe actively seeking out some more stuff and just posting it um, to try to, like, generate some interest because, like... <laughs> Yeah, I think it's not that would, a bad idea. Yeah, and sometimes, especially with older movies, it can be pretty amusing to see the That's trailers. That's true. <laughs> Have you seen the trailer for Batman 1989? Oh it gives away everything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> old trailers are awful. Well, if you want to talk about old trailers giving everything away, how about a pair of star-crossed lovers take their lives? <laughs> okay, but, I mean, come on, that's in the prologue. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what's kind of funny about it is it's just laid it all out there like, so spoiler alert, um they die, but anyways, so here it is. Like <laughs> they die. Now, uh start rooting for these characters. And now yeah, watch exactly. them die. No. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you got to give right. props to Shakespeare a little bit right there. It's a I little know. ballsy to tell you how the story's going to end. And then you're like, what? How does it happen? Right. You know, like, oh, I'm invested in these characters now. How do they die? Said, <laughs> it's not about what happens. It's about how it happens. So I think Shakespeare would have been pretty offended by the the spoiler phobic culture that we currently have. <laughs> Not offended. I think he would have been confused by it, maybe. Of course, a lot of the stories that he was working with were stories that already existed. Like, Shakespeare didn't, like, come up with a lot of the stories. He, he based his plays on whole cloth. Um, so these would have been stories that people were already familiar with. Like Romeo and Juliet being another version of, say, Pyramus and Thisbe, which also shows up oh, in another, Thisbe. <laughs> another uh, Shakespearean play. But yes, um, so anyway, blah, blah, blah. blah. So spoilers. Um, and um, so after the trailer, 
it's also they they pretty closely follow each scene of the play so there's this whole scene which neither romeo and nor juliet are in where it's just like they're not in the first good portion of the movie right it's just gangs doing stuff yeah, like, um, we were introduced to Verona Beach, <laughs> Verona which Beach. this movie very much is a part of, like, uh, leaning into the fact that the mid-90s, or the 90s in general, were very much into SoCal, and, like, the b- beach scene, like, the, <laughs> the popularity of Sugar Ray should be evidence enough of that. I'm surprised there isn't a Sugar Ray song in this movie, yeah, to be seriously. perfectly honest. Um, no, the whole movie is very beachy, and... Uh, and California beachy specifically. Yeah, West it's such Coast. an interesting combination of like kind of like California beach scene and like like Italian Catholic uh, yeah. imagery. Like why no chili peppers in this? <laughs> Saying <laughs> with song topics ranging from life in Southern California to <laughs> doing drugs, drugs in, in Southern, Southern California. California. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, there is plenty of drug use in this movie as well, so it's all there. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this is just a fun scene to set the stage, even though it's like, why do I care about this? I don't really, Right, why but... do I care about most of these characters, <laughs> the, most of whom never show up again or have no lines after this? Um, it's the to only set up people, the conflict. The only people yes. in this first scene who have any lines are the blonde dude who's... Benvolio. Benvolio and, um, Tybalt. Tybalt. Yes. Oh, speaking uh, of Tybalt, Tybalt, I would just like to issue a <laughs> correction to myself. The last episode, I said that Paul Rudd played Tybalt. I was thinking of his character in this, whose name is Paris, and for some reason, I said I said Tybalt. Right. I didn't think it was Tybalt, but I didn't know enough to I, correct you. I, I, that was my bad. I don't, I don't know why I mixed those so, up. So, Benvolio and Tybalt are the only ones in this opening scene who have any impact after and that. And they got beef, and then, son. And then the the, fa- the fathers, the heads of yeah. the two houses, they each only have, like, one other scene. Except, uh... Um, Except Juliet's Juliet, dad being Capulet. an asshole later. Yeah, yeah. the, the se- Senor Capulet yeah. um, has multiple scenes, but Romeo's yeah. dad just kind of, like... I, yeah, Romeo's <laughs> parents don't show up very much, just a little bit. Um, it's so little to the point, it's to the point that you, it's very easy to assume that, like, the priest is his father, because yeah. he constantly yeah, calls he him father. Yeah, he has much more of a fatherly role. But we're not Catholic, yeah. so we don't understand <laughs> the whole, he calls him father, that must be his dad. Uh, <laughs> well, he seems to have much more of a relationship with him than with either of his parents, which you could yes. probably read into, but the, the, the story doesn't really give us much on that front. It, it, much, it definitely feels like he has a lot more personal freedom than, uh, than Juliet does, uh, though. So I guess his parents are just cool. They're like, uh, he can do whatever. Just don't I hang mean, out with Capulets. There is one difference between them. A chromosome. <laughs> well, yes, but I just meant like, like, yes, obviously it makes sense that Juliet's parents would be more controlling of her because she's a girl. But like, also, if the feud is so intense, it surprises me a little bit that that doesn't come up with. Romeo's side of the family more, but I guess he just doesn't really tell them about it. Yeah. I love Romeo's first scene. Like, I mean, his introduction before he even has any lines, like when his family pulls up in the limo, um... Yeah. And they're talking to Benvolio, like, hey, go make sure Romeo's okay. (laughs) And there's Justin... I don't know what song is playing. Do you know what song is playing? Uh, If you don't, don't that's fine. That's okay. There's just this super moody song playing, and there's just this sunset music. It was probably 
when they snuck Radiohead in. If it sounds moody, it's moody. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, it might not have been Radiohead, because that musical theme pops up multiple times in the movie, so it might not have been a specific song. It might have well, been, so, it might have been a leitmotif made for the movie. Man, there, there, is, um, there is a song, um, Kissing You, love theme from Romeo and Juliet by ah. uh, Desiree. Love okay, so that, that one pops up multiple one. times, and it's it's a great little leitmotif. Mm. Um, but just the shots of like the sunset, yeah. and Romeo sitting there dramatically <laughs> on that like rundown stage, yeah. like writing. Um, he's like writing. The he's stuff, writing poetry. Like, yeah. And then Benvolio <laughs> shows up like, "What's up, bro?" Romeo. Like Romeo. <laughs> <laughs> so it's. Uh, we 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 breeze past this opening sequence, uh, and I feel mm. like that is a crime because no, go for it, go for my it. My guy uh, was doing some like <laughs> Tarantino on LSD shit. Who John Leguizamo? No, no, uh, or no, the director uh, Baz Luhrmann. Baz Luhrmann. Oh, we'll yes. we'll get to John it Leguizamo fe- in a second. It does feel very. <laughs> It does feel very Tarantino yeah. with the snap zooms and just the quick yes. paced action yep. and just yep. like how he painted the cars monochromatic and everything is so like it is assaulting your your eyes the editing is so frenetic in like the the best way it is very frenetic it's that's why that's why i sent you the message when i was watching it uh i sent you the screenshot of uh romeo uh being silhouetted by the sun but the reason why I said this movie's fucking amazing is because of that intro. And you are it just, right. It goes for it. It sets a pace. Uh, oh, yeah. That it, it, for the most part, keeps up, even in the slower scenes. It, you, it never feels like it's dragging no, they, at all for They me. really do keep the energy really high, which right. is really impressive. And that's something that you have to do when doing Shakespeare, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, Absolutely. And it feels interesting. It, it's interesting to me that this is... In off the top of my head, from my limited perspective and experience, this seems to me to be the only Shakespeare adaptation that is like at the forefront of pop culture. It's the only big movie adaptation of yeah. Shakespeare. Like there have been dozens and dozens of others featuring famous actors. You know, um, David Tennant, Patrick Stewart, um, the oh god, Jeremy Irons, and the the one that Joss Whedon did. Um, but none of them ever reached, like, the peaks of notoriety that this one did and is still, you know, part of the cultural consciousness. I think there's probably multiple reasons for that, too. I mean, like, one, Romeo and Juliet's probably one of the more well-known plays that that by itself can't explain it. There's also the fact that it's, like we were talking about, an extremely unique, um take i guess Unique, it's extremely like, stylized right it's very as, memorable as lerman I, I, I someone else could have put out another pr- version of another high budget version production of romeo and juliet in the 90s and it wouldn't yeah. have had the the legs that this movie has just because right, it right. wasn't directed by baz fucking lerman right yeah. and it's the choices that are made are, are very good because and i'll talk a little bit more about this later i don't want to i have a long ramble about this so i don't want to get into it right now but the choice to be extremely straightforward about the story um while simultaneously being (laughs) not exactly the opposite of straightforward but extremely wacky and crazy with Mm -hmm. the um 
the the filmmaking, like the stylization uh, and direction, I think is what gave it so much staying power. Like, um, it, it feels, like, very, very sincere and very true to, like, the the romantic nature of the story, uh, while also giving it a very <laughs> zany little twist. Um, and I think a lot of other adaptations have been, have played it maybe a little safer, I guess, and have maybe preserved a little bit more of that wink-wink community theater Shakespeare kind of energy. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm describing this correctly, but no, that all that all scans. <laughs> yeah, and and I think this, unlike maybe a lot of other Shakespeare stories, appealed to young people outside of the drama club crowd. Maybe yeah, this one this one does a very good job of capturing the drama of it. Right. We in in a post Tumblr age. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to call it this the post-post-Tumblr age, because we're after Tumblr's heyday, right? Post-Tumblr implies, like, we are immediately after the existence of Tumblr. We're in post-post-Tumblr. We have, we are a bit more wise now. In the post-Tumblr days, the popular hot take was that, lol, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet, is it a love story? It's about a 13th. Two thirteen-year-olds yeah, who fall in love and and uh, redu- resulted the death of I don't know six people or something. The burning hatred I feel every time I, I see that. Now. <laughs> I, I know back when like we uh, we were first becoming friends. I know Stephanie uh, was on Tumblr and I was just like. I hope she's doing all right there because every single post I saw from Tumblr, I was like, I what what. <laughs> <laughs> Well, some of us escaped more unscathed than, than others. Yeah, I was very active until 2013-ish, I think. But yeah, some of I was my favorite people on Twitter are the, like, scarred, battered Tumblr veterans. <laughs> the yes. ex-Tumblerines. Yes. The ex-Tumblerinas, if you will. Um, I am definitely one of those. I don't even know what's going on over there, nor do I care to. Twitter's still pretty bad, but it feels more diversely bad if that makes sense yes like, <laughs> i understand totally what you mean it is There's bad a wide in many array more diverse ways. terrible right, takes right, right. yes it, it yes. keeps it interesting um but yes but that's anyway kind of the, the post postmodern little fun take on we, romeo and juliet we know better now yeah and this movie does a very very good job of capturing the intensity yes. of the emotion like if i'm sorry if you can't relate to being a young teenager and like falling for someone and just feel <laughs> yeah it feels like, like fucking the, life and death the hallmark it of being a teenager is that you feel everything more intensely than you do at any other point in mm-hmm. your life right okay. and i feel like this movie accurately and adequately captures that and and it, and it doesn't ever, it doesn't ever, like, wink at it. No, you know? it's never looking down on it. It's never saying, teenagers, am I right? It's know, literally, which is what I hate. to them, their relationship is life and death. And in the movie, in the reality of the story, it literally, it literally is, is life, life and, death. and death. Right, and that's the thing. That's why I hate when people, like, when they're, like, the bad faith discourse around this story, which, like, is obviously made by people who read it one time and thought it was silly and like fuck them, but like whatever. Anyways, but it's people who had to read it in high school and were pissed yeah, off yeah. about it. 
But, uh, yeah, like, cry me a fucking river. Anyway, like, so the big, the big hot take about this one is that, like, oh, it's so silly because they just were so irrational about it, and why didn't these teenagers just be smart? If I fell madly in love with a girl from a rival family, I would simply not kill myself. Like, it's t- the RIP to Romeo, but that's just me. Like, <laughs> like I'm different. Yeah, but I'm just built different. Um, But it's like, but if you look at the story, and I remember, okay, I might as well go off on the tangent. Whatever, we're here, we're, whatever. Anyways, I remember uh, the most controversial uh, post I've ever made on Facebook was when I was like, uh, Romeo and Juliet is romantic, actually, and people are being dumb about it. Um, and the, I'm not going to say furor, because no one was really mean about it, but so many people that I count as friends were commenting on it, being like, um, well, actually, <laughs> like, and I was like, I'm not backing down on this. Sorry. Like, I, I have a, de- I have degrees in theater and English. I am qualified to talk about this, and we're going to fucking talk about it. And so... And I, I bought my funeral that... plot on this hill, bitch. Let's <laughs> <laughs> No, literally, like, if you want to fucking bury me here, then do it. Like, I will, I am going That's down a good with the one, ship. Justin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and one thing I remember explaining to someone who, God love them, I guess was not that familiar with the story because I had to explain to them the whole subplot of Juliet being forced to marry someone by her parents who are shitty and abusive to her. And I was like, uh, and I was like, this isn't just about people who are, are about teenagers being dumb and killing themselves. Cause they had a crush. This is, I mean, for Juliet, especially, this is a story about a girl who's being used as like, you know, as an object essentially to be married off to someone that she's not in love with. And essentially both her father and mother, like treat her like absolute shit. Like, um, don't care what she wants. Like, essentially, her whole life has already been decided for her, which is something we've talked about in other movies this month. Like, and if she cannot be with Romeo, like, that's just what's going to happen to her. So it's not just that she kills herself because he's dead. She she kills herself because that was the one thing she had left that she, like, actually wanted. No. You know, not to get dark. And I had to, like, explain all this, be like, this is a legitimately sad Thing. It's it's a how like kids in um kids who have bad at home relationships will act out in school because that's where they have control. Right. You know, the right. people act out because it gives them a sense of control because in other areas of their life they don't. Exactly. Not to, like... Okay, not to, not to downplay the love no, aspect, no, because yeah, that makes that, it sound like she too. only was going for Romeo to piss off her parents no, or something. No, it's, it's all interconnected, and I think people who don't know the story that well and don't care to know uh, forget about that. Well, I, I to to that point, uh, I, I think if uh, Juliet hadn't have fallen in love with Romeo, she kind of would have just blankly accepted her life but the reason why she felt so strongly to the point of killing herself is she got a taste of actually having a life and a love that she wanted and then it was ripped away from her right and that's like that is like the most tragic aspect of it is like is that it's kind of seeing a glimpse of the natural progression of of human emotion and human development and human connection and how that can be just artificially taken away for bad reasons like you know essentially like let's 
I think that, that segue says <laughs> yes, it perfectly. Yes, okay, let's... let's talk about... They have they have the most adorable meet-cute of all time, okay? <laughs> Seeing each other through the aquarium while the music is playing, that shot of Claire Danes, oh my god. Like, I just, the, the way they're just, great. like, kind of staring at each other, going back and forth, and the dreamy music and is playing. And Romeo's still probably a little high. <laughs> yes, exactly. He's <laughs> still probably tripping a little bit. And then, bit. like, they're chasing each other through the party. And then, you know, she gets so ripped away, cute. but he comes back, yeah. and then they have that extended scene, the the whole Romeo, Romeo, wherefore out there, Romeo scene. The pool scene. scene. The pool scene. so good. Um, there, it's such a, oh, it's so good. Yeah. And it perfectly captures that energy, too, that feels like, I mean, <laughs> my experiences are not universal, but that feeling of, like, <laughs> but God, I wish they were. Meeting someone at a party. <laughs> right. And... Like, and, like, or just, like, meeting someone, and it's kind of, like, when you're young and everything feels so crazy and mm-hmm. new, and, like, you're having all these new experiences, and when you, like, have a connection with someone in the middle of all that, it, like... It amplifies it even more where you like it's now like you associate that person with all these these cool new things and with this new life that you've discovered. Like and I think that's something that actually a lot of Baz Luhrmann's movies kind of touch on or like oh, I w- like all his movies have the the drug the drugged up party scene. Yes, <laughs> like, they do. Like, he loves that. He that does man's that in had all a, of his a crazy time in college. Yeah, I, you yes, know he, he did. He had a great time in college. <laughs> that that there was something in Stephanie and I were talking about this the other day after watching Gatsby, and I don't remember if this was a thought I had based off of Gatsby or just Baz Luhrmann in general. He has, <clears throat> what was it I said? Baz Luhrmann could do. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was, I said like Steven Spielberg could couldn't do <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. All right, he couldn't do not like Mulan this Rouge. anyway. No. I, but Baz Luhrmann, Baz could Luhrmann do. <laughs> for a man of. His generation, man of his years, he's he's probably older than you expect him to be. Um, I don't remember Stephanie. If you could look that up while I'm, I'm talking, not sure, um, but... his movies have a sensibility to them that it feels like a lot of other directors from his generation do not have. They have that he is um, 58. he's fifty eight. He was born in nineteen sixty two. His movies just have this. Oh, like we were talking about with this movie with Romeo and Juliet, that the showing the intensity of teenage emotion without sneering at it, without looking sidelong yeah. at it, without making any jokes. He has this abil- this ability to perceive the depths and intensity of human emotion and respect it and accurately right. portray it on film and that's which the... is insane to me with the the, yeah. the accuracy and the frequency that he's able to do it that's where the stylism actually becomes a conduit for the sincerity it's like it's very glittery and artificial and in your face but through that it actually conveys the depth of emotion in some ways, even more powerfully than a more straightforward, like, realistic approach could. Because, like, for instance, the whole, like, you know, getting super high at a party, seeing someone through a fish tank, like, you know, while (laughs) diegetic music plays in the background and, like, someone singing a love song. It's, like, all this crazy stuff that, you know, like, could happen, but it feels a little, like, out there. And yet it's the... it makes the truth of what's happening 
truer. I don't know. <laughs> it illustrates it more. Yeah, he sees the truth of it and he understands it and he has I I don't know. It just feels like most people his age do not have that respect for yeah. how people feel when they're young. You know, yeah. it's at that point they've reached the, oh, you'll grow out of it stage, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yes. It, yeah, you got to learn those hard lessons. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. God. It's just, I don't, I don't know. Like, like mo- mo- seeing Moulin Rouge for the first time, like, I don't know if any movie made me feel that intensely before I saw Moulin Rouge. Right. I, I, <sighs> yeah, and I love how all these movies are just unabashedly like, yeah, man, it's about fucking love and like i don't know it's love about love and tragedy yeah it's about love, love and, and it's life about and death sad shit and you know it's about the big stuff you know <laughs> just just, yeah, just I love unashamedly it. yes you <laughs> anyways really get the feeling like uh, uh, like as you said uh baz Luhrmann probably had some crazy times in college <laughs> but those crazy times probably led to some terrible terrible heartbreak and like both aspects Ooh. of that shine through his entire yes absolutely the highs and lows are like off the chart and he's so good at both of them right right his highs are just incomparable and so are his lows i mean his lows i i don't know they're like they reach lay mis levels if not lower (laughs) you know but his highs are just so good i we should we should get back to specifically (laughs) romeo and juliet i have something i'd like to discuss about romeo and juliet yeah go for it as speaking pretentiously for a moment (laughs) as someone who's been in (laughs) who's performed shakespeare multiple times oh yes indeed The line delivery in this movie. (laughs) Some actors are better than others. Notably, Mercutio, Captain Prince, and Father Lawrence, and Signor Capulet, maybe, are all... Their deliveries are excellent. The moment Mercutio shows up... I Okay, before, before Mercutio, there was, like, scenes with Benvolio and Romeo... And I'm just like, I'm cringing. Because I'm like, what is this line delivery? This sounds like the first time either of you have ever done Shakespeare. Well, it probably was. And, like, you are getting no direction. Like, Benvolio is literally just told, talk "Talk like a surfer dude and say these lines. (laughs) And then Mercutio shows up. It worked. I would would listen to his pop punk band for uh, sure. mm, 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 No, I think... I don't think it worked because oh, I, it's supposed to sound really? casual, right? Tell me the, how I should forget the, to the, think. The delivery <laughs> is supposed to make it sound more casual, more realistic with the, the affect of it, right? I think it but worked. I think it sounds forced. I think it sounds unnatural because <laughs> as soon, hold on, as soon as Mercutio shows up, I was like, oh, this is it. Yeah. This man knows he what he's doing. Good, yes. Um, The actor who, hold on, I have it right here. Harold Perrineau. He, my man, knew what he was doing. Uh, he has clearly, he has experience with Shakespeare because the, that line delivery was effortless. It flowed. Mm. Benvolio and Romeo, they had no flow. All right? <laughs> okay, let's There were let's... some white rappers trying to freestyle for the first time oh and they God. had no flow, all right? Oh uh, I don't know, like, uh, Benvolio... I... <laughs> It's just, they went for, like you said, the surfer guy thing. And I think you did, I think he did Shakespeare 
as a surfer guy about as well as you can as you do. you could. Yeah, like, I don't think, I don't think I, that... I'm sorry, I think some people are noticeably better in this movie than others. Like, Claire Danes, the first time Claire Danes has lines opposite um, Leonardo DiCaprio... It's obvious. Like, she is several years younger than him, but she is leagues ahead of them oh, no. when it comes to delivering Shakespeare. <laughs> While we're talking about performances, we touched on it oily, uh, oilier. 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 Uh, <laughs> fucking, I can't speak to how well he's delivering these lines, but John Leguizamo. Yes. My dude. John Le- is chewing up the scenery. Oh my god, making so a full-ass meal. <laughs> he's having <laughs> such a good time. It, he's so fun to watch in this movie. He <laughs> like, is. I especially love exactly comparing what him making. to Moulin Rouge, like like the like fun zany little <laughs> character that he plays in that one. And here he is, like peace. I hate the word. <laughs> no, he is. He is menacing. He is stylish. He is. Oh, uh, he no, is he's driven. Yes. He is great. Yeah, I I just love I I love this scene. Like the whole. The whole, like, scene where he kills Mercutio, that Romeo, like, flips his shit and, like, dramatically shoots him. He, like, falls backward into a fountain. It's so, it's all so great. He wears solid metal heels on his shoes. Absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so fucking, it's so good. No, I I love it. It, (laughs) He's quite appropriately villainous. Put him in everything. He is an underrated treasure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he's a great character actor, like, because he's kind of, like, slipping on, into all these ridiculous and yet very different roles, like, mm-hmm. quite well. Um, and, and the movie, it's like, the movie needs that kind of hammy, villainous presence, and it's like... It, it's in some ways a more fun villainous presence than like Juliet's dad, which is like, oh, this is just a guy like slapping his wife and daughter around. This is just kind of depressing. Yeah. yeah, like, but, but there, but that's the thing. It's like the villainy has to come from all sorts of sides. Um, and like there is that even like for instance, uh. Captain Prince, as they call him, is like not obviously not a villainous character. Like he's like actually trying to keep the peace as like gangs are, are tearing the city apart. Yeah. But even he is kind of like a force of antagonism because it's like because we're rooting for Romeo, you know, it's like yeah. and and so the fact that all of these different antagonistic forces kind of converge like that is another thing that makes the story feel so so fraught, you know, is that there's <laughs> danger coming in from all sides unfortunately um oh gosh okay let's see what else do we have guys ah. Caleb's looking something up oh let's sorry see. I was just looking up who played Abra mm? which is not a name I'm <laughs> used to seeing who's Abra Abra Vincent Laresca he's one of the um Capulet boys oh well um, I guess I don't know Shakespeare <laughs> You know he, they don't have any, they have like no lines. Um, yeah, they don't have a lot. No, the, literally, the only context I know Abra is what Justin, Pokemon. Thank you. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, gosh, all right. Let's see. What else do we have? What else do we have? Um, I mean, granted, I could talk about this movie all day, but we should hit some of the like major points. Um. <laughs> Let's see. So, obviously, yeah, there's, like, the party scene, the pool scene, which is great. I'm pretty sure that's, like, the longest scene in the movie. But it doesn't, like, feel long. Like, it's long, but it doesn't feel like it drags because it's such a good scene. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Let's see. And it's very tense because the entire time you're like, Romeo, <laughs> you're going to get idiot. caught, boy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're going to get killed. What are you doing? Exactly. I know. He's being an idiot, but that's Just to like... get some girl's number? No. <laughs> that's like the whole Are you movie. that hard up, boy? Yeah. <laughs> No, no, but the energy is so good, like, and the the blocking is great too. Yes. Um, yes, and is. like even the visual symbolism, like the like falling into the pool, falling in love, that kind of thing. Um, it, it's it's very good, and of course, it's always nice when like attractive actors are like wet and like peeling up <laughs> on each other and everything. Hey, Claire Danes was a minor at this point, oh, so God. chill. Forget I said that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, but to be fair, at the time I wasn't even born. Wait, yes, I was born. You were two I years was old. two years old, so it was the minor in this. I'm gonna stop talking. Okay, um, uh, let's see what else do we have. <laughs> mm. Okay, so yada yada, they want to get married. Uh, they get married. Like it's funny because like the middle part of the movie, it seems like things are generally going pretty well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's li- literally, it all falls apart because so Romeo well. didn't bother to check his mail. Oh my god. <laughs> I, don't, I was wondering about that. It was kind of unclear to me what exactly happened. The courier tried to deliver the letter. I Romeo mean, was literally play, 30 but... feet away, like playing catch with himself or something. Mm. Um, and that's not a euphemism. Um, <laughs> and like the, oh, sorry, we missed you note, like falls off the door. Uh, and that's, oh. that's the whole thing. Uh, he, misses, okay. he doesn't the get the letter from the courier. The fuck has to sign for a letter? Leave it at the door. <laughs> I know. I know. He, he doesn't that's... get the letter from Father Lawrence explaining the plan. That's kind of... And then Father Lawrence doesn't explain it to that boy. The boy who know. just, like, takes yeah. off. is like, oh, shit, let me go tell yep, Romeo. Yeah, I gotta go tell Romeo. Like, uh, it's... That's maybe one of the things that I understand less about the story. Like, it's both the play and the movie. Like, I'm not exactly sure what, like, the thematic significance is of, like... It's... I think it's just unfortunate coincidence. It's just yeah. the trappings of fate. Uh, See, and that's once tried the to thing... deliver a letter to him, and it just didn't make it. See, I... I guess if we're going to talk about the other movies that we're talking about um, in this span of time, The Great Gatsby and later on Moulin Rouge... This is something that Moulin Rouge and this movie have in common that I kind of don't care for, though the in this movie it's to be blamed on Shakespeare more. But, well, it's, it no, 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 it's, it's the fact that the tragic ending is brought about by kind of circumstances that aren't ne- completely relevant to the conflict does it's that make sense it's not because of outside circumstances and it's not because of something the characters it's, did intentionally right. it's because of just some random happenstance yeah. if uh if you want to get uh mystical or metaphysical with it it's because of the curse mercutio uh <laughs> puts on the families i mean that yeah i mean that's definitely one interpretation i mean it definitely it feels like there is a curse, like, mm-hmm. even if, whether it's, like, a mystical thing or whether it's just, like, the curse of, of, of you know, karma or, like, yeah. people's it, bad actions coming back to haunt them. Uh, the the better read on that is uh, Mercutio's curse was really just saying what was going to happen eventually anyway. Well, yeah. The hatred these two families had for each other was going to cannibalize everything that they had. Right. I mean, that and that is, like... And that's the thing, that's why the ending is, in a lot of ways, brought about by by that enmity between them, which is, like, pretty explicitly spelled out in the epilogue. But, um, I don't know, the fact that 
be that as it may, it's they still could have had a happy ending if he had just happened to see the letter. Yeah. That kind of undercuts it for me because it makes it feel less like the causality is there. Um, so I don't know. I've always kind of struggled with that a little bit, like to see what the point no, was. It, I can't. Re- it has been a long ass time since I read Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> uh, what what is what happens in the actual play? That causes him not to get the information. More or less the same thing. I, I don't remember the exact circumstances, but something like... Just the courier didn't make it. Yeah, like, just some kind of banal, like, uh, the letter oh, that darn didn't post make office. it there. Yeah, <laughs> right. And it's and that makes sense that that would happen, but for that to be the thing that the entire tragedy kind of hinges on, I don't know how well that works for me. And, and it feels weirder in a more modern context, like... They would just drop that at your right. Right, right, right. Send a text message, oh God. Yeah, yeah. Send an email. <laughs> Quick. This is life and death. Um, and uh, to, to, to make that even more, like, minute, the, I, I'm interested about the reasoning in this adaptation to have uh, Juliet actually be waking up as he is, like, taking the poison and, like... Oh, God, to make us hurt even more? Right. Oh, dude. I think that's, like, an adaptational her, choice. Her fingers are twitching and, like, she's right. starting to wake up as he's yeah. talking, but, like, he doesn't notice it. And then, like, she wakes up and they make eye contact right as he takes the I poison know. and it's too late. I know. And I... then he can't... S- <laughs> oh, my God. I it's, know, it's awful. It's terrible. It's awful. That is the he... worst two minutes of my life every time <laughs> I watch get... it. They do get one kiss that he is conscious for, so at least there's that? Bust with a kiss, I die. Yeah, that, and that's the kind of, I also wonder what exactly the point of that is. I mean, uh, other than to just make make it sadder. (laughs) Well, but the thing is, I can see why someone might make that directorial choice, but I would see it through the lens of them trying to make the whole thing about I don't know, the rashness of love and, like, the foolishness of it uh, and, like, acting too quickly and too passionately, which, to be fair, is a factor in the play. Like, people aren't getting that out of nowhere. Like, that's kind of partially what my beginning quote is about, sort of. Like, like these, these violent delights have violent ends. Like, kind of this in my opinion, kind of dumb idea that it's like, you can't be too in love or you might go crazy and kill yourself. Like, which was kind of a thing at the time in like, for instance, in Othello, he he refers to himself as one who loved not wisely, but too well. And it's like, yeah, you loved your wife so much. You had to kill her. Like it's, I don't know. I hate it. Yeah. (laughs) Don't you hate when that happens? Um, (laughs) But it's a good thing to, I'm devoid of emotion and can't feel anything. <laughs> I'll never <laughs> kill my wife because of that. Yeah. <laughs> but but it's like I could that seems in line with that interpretation. Like, oh, they were just too passionate and like maybe if they had just been wiser, they would have waited. But that doesn't seem to be what this movie is saying. Rightfully so, I think. So I, I don't know. It's a little bit of a confusing choice to me, but but what do I know? I I'll have to yeah. think about it some more. Damn, Beyonce was right. You really do got me crazy in love. That's the, that's the whole point, right? That's the and that's our show, everybody. Thank <laughs> you for listening. Bye bye. Uh, no, I, I don't know. 
the, at least in The Great Gatsby, it, it, it it's like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that this would happen. Like, does it? <laughs> no, no, does, I think it does. See, I think I, it does. We'll discuss The Great Gatsby. No, the, cause, no, I'll, to, no, the no, causality we'll, we'll is there. I, I will die on this We'll hill discuss too. when we get to it. Do we have any more thoughts on. on Romeo and Juliet? Yes, but um, I, I won't. I won't hold you guys here for now <laughs> i won't i won't hold you hostage with a monologue about romeo and juliet <laughs> i mean that's why we're here <laughs> yes no it is it is um so much so much but but we'll 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 save those thoughts for our closing okay, segments so I, I, will, monologue later. I will reel it in Justin. i will say this uh less about the themes and more about just adapting shakespeare in general Mm. um if you are going to do something that is the actual story um and not something that's just inspired by the story um i 100 110 thousand percent prefer when you stick with the language yeah um i i don't like re uh rewrites trying to like modernize things i hate about you (laughs) Well, that one's so different. It's almost like not doesn't really feel like an adaptation. Uh, yeah, that's another one that feels more like inspired by right. than a one to one. That's why that's why I like this and Joss Wheaton's. Uh, <laughs> 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 Mutters under so, breath. Nathan Fillion as um, Dogberry as Dogberry was perfect i wanted nothing but an entire 45 minute like per episode tv yes. series of nathan fillion as dogberry he all right very good. he was he was the only person in that movie who felt totally natural in his role i'm just sorry keep, okay, uh, well, someone just keep nathan fillion employed please i beg you and, and john leguizamo give them a buddy cop show <laughs> oh i would all day cry myself to sleep if that happened okay Anything else about Romeo and Juliet? Uh, later, later. Later, we'll, later. We'll put a pin Justin. In it. Yep. Putting a pin in it. All right, we're putting pins in it. We will see you guys after the break. Hey, everyone! Thanks for checking out our show. Give us a follow on Twitter at Sounds Familiar and let us know any film pairings you would like us to cover. Did you also know that we have a sister show that covers cryptids, UFOs, and anything else strange and spooky? If that sounds like your thing, be sure to listen to I Hope You Exist on your favorite podcast service. We love you. Now back to the show. Possibly, it had occurred to Gatsby that the colossal significance of that light had vanished forever. Now, it was once again just a green light on a dock. His count of enchanted objects had diminished by one. We're back Such to talk a line. About. I know. Uh, this movie is full of them. Uh, it's full of, of lines with a capital L. Oh, uh, uh, man. You love to see it or hear it, I suppose. Yes, we are back again with The Great Gatsby 2013, the second Baz Luhrmann installment of the evening. And I believe his most recent film. Uh, regrettably, yes. I know. Quite regrettably. He had the Netflix series The Get Down. Which I still uh, need to watch. Him busy he had a Netflix series? Yes. 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 I had it. Okay. I don't really know what it's about besides like a nightclub or something that isn't the British. I don't know. 
But it's music heavy and directed by Baz Luhrmann, so I yes. I guess I I'm in. I just finished Shit's Creek last night, so I guess I know what I'm doing now. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about it, so I I don't know how good it is, but I guess I'm gonna watch it regardless because <laughs> it's got my man's. Yeah, look, I don't hear much about Baz Luhrmann from people other than than you, Stephanie. So. <laughs> yeah, he hears it from me. Like a no lot. offense, <laughs> it's just been that way our entire relationship. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, a polarizing director to be sure like i sometimes uh when i feel like offending myself i go and read some of the like letterboxed reviews of some of his movies and Uh. like (laughs) such a Uh. so polarized between um people loving them and people hating them it's very fascinating i guess the the man's a genius Uh, why does he only have five films i think so but not everyone does five right i think i think five yeah five feature films squeezing Um, all of that uh uh style out of his brain must take a lot out <laughs> like glitter glue um <laughs> yes <laughs> that's spot on <laughs> excellent analogy stephanie uh, you got any more uh oh plenty, plenty. oh excellent um, yeah. carry us on then <laughs> well i think that i don't know so now that we're talking about the great gatsby this one, it has not mm. been quite as well received as mm. his adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. Even amongst viewers or posts of this podcast, we should discuss our individual experiences mm. with The Great Gatsby. Yes. Um, so. I will go first, <laughs> as is tradition, and yeah. as <laughs> a former a converted Philistine, mm. um, I saw this movie in theaters. I do not remember if I saw it with Stephanie. I think I, I think so. I think I saw it in theaters. Was it a summer and or winter release? I want to say it, summer, May. but I don't. May? Yeah. May. So there's a good solid chance we saw this together in I'm pretty theaters. Sure. Um, I was mostly down with it. I was not down with all of it. Okay. Some people are entirely against the anachronistic music. I am not. The first time I saw it, there were just particular usages of the music that kind of bothered me. Um, Caleb was like, Jay-Z, but get out of here. as I've gotten older <laughs> and as I've seen it more times, it does not bother me at all. There is nothing about this movie that bothers me anymore. Um, and that's what we call growth. Yes. <laughs> um, I love it wholeheartedly. Thank, I'm, I, you know what? I'm very glad to hear that because, see, I loved this movie from the beginning uh, because it's it's the exact kind of thing that I like, like much like all of Baz Luhrmann's stuff. It's I love the the glittery spectacle of it, the anachronistic music, like the fr- uh, frenetic editing combined with a like a really sincere, like to the point of being almost kind of sappy, like heart. I absolutely love that. That is my shit for days. Um, and um, yeah, so I saw this in theaters. I think the second time I saw it actually was, if I'm remembering correctly, near the end of the school year, my freshman year at Vanderbilt. Did we rent it from the library? No, no, no. It was, um, no, it was my freshman year and they uh. played it on a big projection screen on the 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 quad or whatever it was called like it would have just come out yeah or it must have because i know that it was on the you know the freshman commons area Mm. so i know it was my freshman year because i was living over there at the time 
Yeah, I don't know. That's weird. I don't remember how exactly that happened because it would have just come out. But anyways, so like we like sat on the grass and watched it and I don't know what anybody else thought, but I was like, this is cool as fuck. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I've, I've always really liked it. Was that before or after you saw it in theaters with me? Oh. That's a weird. It does. That's well, not. Well, now I'm like, was it my sophomore year? You sure it wasn't. Sophomore? Yes, yeah, sophomore makes sense. Maybe it was my sophomore year. I don't. Anyway, doesn't matter. Not important. <laughs> not Justin. Important. Go ahead, Justin. <laughs> um, I too saw this in theaters, but not the main theater. I saw this in At the, the mall. local mall's dollar theater. Oh, Excellent. Hell yeah. And I. This is only there. my second time seeing it. This is the first time I've done a rewatch, but I, I really. Surprise! I enjoyed a Baz Luhrmann movie. What? <laughs> what? Get out uh, of here. Now, this isn't. This isn't my favorite in his filmography, but that's that's still saying a lot. It's weird <laughs> um, that it's my third favorite, and yet it's still one of my favorite movies. Like that's just how much I love his other movies. So much. Um, it uh, it's one of those movies that when someone comes at me with specific criticisms other than the music, uh, like things about pace, uh, I'm like, well, yeah, okay, that's fair, but it. It's not. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't bother take me it away, at all. Take away from yeah. it. Right. It doesn't take away from the experience at all. Yeah. Um, I really, man, just talking about soundtracks earlier and talking about soundtracks on this one, I really just want to have drinks, smoke weed with Baz Luhrmann, and <laughs> just sit through his record collection. Just like, yeah, absolutely. Dig through it with him. Music fan. Yes. Yeah. My man's got a, a vinyl setup to be sure. Um, and he and he has an ear for the appropriateness of certain songs mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. in an anachronistic sense uh, in certain scenes i i remember how hmm. how is he gonna be like okay so at like one of the most emotional poignant moments in the movie i'm gonna have jack white cover a u2 song it's gonna be Wait, which way, which hold on elaborate that? on that for a second uh, uh love is blindness it plays towards the end of the film uh is jack white covering a uh a u2 song I, See, I did didn't not even know, know that. that. I'm going to have to listen for that next time. <laughs> Holy shit. See, all I was going to say was I remember uh, partying in, in college and <laughs> a friend of ours would play <laughs> Fergie's A Little Party Never, never Killed Nobody just on loop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the other thing. Uh, I recommend you rewatch this movie after the pandemic's over because this entire time mm. was like, it's not fucking fair, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go fucking party I, with a million people. This watch through, I was wondering if this movie had any effect on the popularity of Electro Swing. Um, <laughs> because, you know, we've had two, like, Swing was big in the 90s, apparently, so I've been told through popular culture. But Electro Swing was real big in the aughts. And I just wonder if this movie had anything to do with it. Well, this movie came out after the aughts, so... Sorry, by aughts, I don't mean what the aughts actually are. I mean the teens, (laughs) whatever the hell you call them. The 2010s, I don't know. Yeah, the tens. (laughs) Um, No, the movie's great. Uh, Sorry, I meant to say the music. The movie is great. The the music's great. Um, I, yeah, I... I go back and forth on anachronistic music. I I like it if it feels like it justifies itself being there, if that makes sense, which mm, I yeah. feel this movie does. Not which everyone needs The agree, difference but, between well, a Baz Luhrmann movie and, as Stephanie would probably say, <laughs> a Knight's Tale. A Knight's Tale. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I've softened on uh, that, though I still am kind of like, okay. Uh, 
Boy, it uh, so for me, the the anachronistic music, uh, specifically uh, the hip hop in it, um, was really showcasing. I, I think its intention was to showcase that nothing has really changed about mm. uh, lavishness and party culture mm. since the twenties. Like uh, the the tunes are different, but the intention is the same. Like listening to Jay Z now or in 2013 when this came out was exactly the same as when people in the 20s were listening to songs like now grab a girl and do the hokey pokey <laughs> dance with your fingers you know Listen, what's your record coming it's out the, what's your rumper room is the same <laughs> yes right and, and uh, yeah i think that yeah that's the thing and maybe is something that some people have a problem with it feels while it's obviously set in the 1920s, it has a very modern feel about it, which I personally think works just fine. I know that not everyone might agree with that. Um, certainly, uh, speaking of which, did, did anyone else read this book in high school? I know it's a pretty common... Nope. Yes, I did. I didn't read any books in high school. Killed. That's not something to admit, you know on, Mike. That's a lie. I read The Hunger Games. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Bob Zerman's the and then we Games. read the first page of Moby Dick and then watched the movie. Oh, <laughs> ah, Florida education. Uh, Amen. God well, bless it. Some of us read it in high school. Yeah, well, some of us got in the highest grade in our English class while playing at Angry Birds every class. So. You know what? That was only because. That's because I That's... didn't take AP because I was smart. We're not gonna we're not gonna do this right now. Right now. <laughs> anyway. Only dumb people took the smart classes. <laughs> only only dumb smart people took AP. Well, ca- put me down as a dumb smart person then, Caleb. Uh, put me down as smart smart. Uh, no, no, you're a smart dumb person. Ouch. I'm a dumb smart person. Let's, let's move on before we hurt each other's feelings more. Uh, whatever. Anyway, so some of us read this in high school. Um, and... <laughs> Sorry, that broke me a little. Oh, my God. Uh, I didn't read it, but I did chaperone, co-chaperone with Stephanie, a field trip to a museum of F. Scott Fitzgerald's home. Sorry, one of his homes, but the only one that is currently a museum. It was cool. I liked the house. That's about all I got. Yeah, that's about all we got. It's a cool house. Two stories full of lots of memorabilia from him and Zelda. Zelda. Um, so, Justin, as the other person here who read this in high school, (laughs) what did you think when you read it in high school? I'm curious. Um, well, so, (laughs) stepping off of my high horse, just making fun of Caleb. Um, (laughs) I, I read it, but at that point in my life, I was like, I wasn't reading it because I was like, ooh, I want to absorb this knowledge. I was like, ooh, I'm reading this because I don't want to fail. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Um, I would, it's honestly, I have a list of like things I need to read and it is it is on there. I really want to reread it um, with eyes that give a fuck now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good That's way to put it. That's the title of my novel. Eyes with that eyes give that give a fuck. Yeah. Uh, but even with eyes that didn't give a fuck, I still found myself really, really uh, enjoying it. And yeah. I and I thought this was a good adaptation. Uh, I The changes that it makes feel 
uh Logical, mostly minor to natural. me so yeah. yeah yeah stephanie was commenting on um the shortening the abbreviation of um the transition of some really long dull dialogue scenes into montage <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like the the dinner scene. I noticed that yeah, with the dinner scene near near the beginning of the movie when Nick goes over to the Buchanan's house, um, it's kind of d- does a little montage if you hear little snippets of their conversation, which in the book is like a whole thing. Like you hear yeah. every aspect of yeah. that, which is fine. Like it, it works fine in the book, but I thought it was kind of merciful that the movie kind of skimmed over this. It was <laughs> like y- y- you get the idea. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, what what is a montage, Stephanie and Justin? <laughs> A movie apologizing for reality. Thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> and there's our community reference for the yeah, evening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also, uh, another thing which really didn't change the outcome of the story too much is uh, Nick and Jordan never outright date in the film. Uh, yeah, they kind of hang out a bit, and it's just kind of Do like... they in the book? Kind of? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, it, it's at least implied that they have some level of exclusivity with each other that ends by the time the summer does. Yeah. All right. So. Okay. Right. Because it's Good always kind mans. of like he's dating her, but then all he wants to do is talk about Gatsby. So it's like, uh, <laughs> what's that, going on I, here? I see that. <laughs> I get it. Um. Mm, yeah, I really want to reread the book just because um, it. Uh, I remember... At the time when I was reading it in 11th grade, being really annoyed that I had to do so much homework about it. And that, so that was kind of independent on my feelings on the book. It, it wasn't that I didn't like the book. It was just that I was annoyed that I had to do so much literary analysis because this was the first time I ever really had to do that because I'd been right. homeschooled up until then. So suddenly I'm thrust into this AP, uh, AP language class, I believe it was. And I'm having to do all this stuff and answer all these questions and like, yeah, I don't wanna. But the, <laughs> at the same time, I, I really did like the language of the book and like appreciate just the, it was at the time the most literary thing I had ever read, if that, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> but look, I wouldn't want it if I was having to stay up till 3 a.m. doing homework and then crying myself to sleep. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good times, good times. And that would only continue in college. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, I think that people are divided on this movie as an interpretation of the book. Oh. Um, I, I don't know. I, I kind of skimming through the letterboxed reviews. I feel like some people felt that this adaptation became more kind of like saccharine and traditional Hollywood kind of narrative. Um, because they're like, oh, they emphasize the love story so much. <clears throat> like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, so, so let me respond in the most accurate way that I can. Uh, and that is, I see your point. You're not wrong, but go fuck yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, like, it's like on one level, you're not wrong, but on another deeper level, you are wrong. <laughs> Shut up. Um, <laughs> there, there is, there is an edge that the book uh, has about it that is missing from this film. I yeah. will agree with that. I, I do think that's true. But, eh, eh. yeah, <laughs> eh. <laughs> I think the movie feels just kinder in a way, like, mm-hmm. and that can be taken honestly as a good thing or a bad thing. 
Uh, given what the book's about. I th- well, yeah. yeah. It, it, Daisy doesn't have much of a character in this version. She has a lot more going on in the book. Um, yeah, a Daisy's... lot of Daisy is stripped back. There's a lot going on there, and somehow not much at all um, with Daisy. I, I, I don't uh-huh. know. What a mystifying character. That That's a whole she's, different conversation. She's almost reactionary the entire time in this adaptation. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like it's like in the this adaptation it felt like she was somehow more sympathetic and yet less like less active. Yeah, like you were saying. Like yeah. like she seems like a nicer person. Um to the point where at the end when it's like basically like, oh yeah, they're all awful. I was like, yeah, I guess she's pretty awful too. But didn't she seem kind of nice? But it's like, no, she actually is awful. Like, mm-hmm. like in a very human way. Like, not in a villainous way. In, like, a very, like, she's just a human who's the product of her environment and doesn't know how to, like, treat people kind of way. Um, yeah. Which leads us into other themes of the... Caleb, you look like you are going to say something. <laughs> I'm sorry. The, the reason I haven't said anything for several minutes... Is because I was trying to find out one whether or not Tobey Maguire is considered a short king. Um, he is five eight, so I'm gonna have to consult the council on that one. He he is um, a moderately short. King. I don't I don't know if five yeah. eight counts. Okay, no, five I don't know. Like right is it in just there. is it anything under five ten is what counts? I don't, I don't know. know. That's why I said I'll have to consult the council. Um, as as someone as someone who rides that line, uh, being close to 58. I'm like not 57, but I'm not quite 58. Uh, Am I really I that much yes, taller than you? He counts as a short king. Justin, see, okay. I don't see you as short. That's weird. I see you as like middling height, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah, I'm I if you were to round me, I would be 58. <laughs> <laughs> of course, to me okay. a short king is any man who's my height or shorter. So, I and I'm only 55, so okay. <laughs> So 55 is the bar. Oh, so Toby Maguire is not a short king. And then uh, no, two... See, see, hold on. I need I, I need the bar to be 5'8 or 5'9 because if that's the case, I don't qualify for short king and I also don't qualify to be a tall man. Yeah, but there are, most men don't fall into either of those categories. That's the whole point of being uh, average. I don't want to be... I don't want to be just a dude. Oh, well, There's already so many things about me that make me a dude. I'm just a, I would rather b- just be some guy. Yeah. All right. I mean, I'm five five. That's technically taller than the national average for taller women, which than is five four. average woman. But I don't um, feel nah, tall. Label me, baby. Yeah, I don't. Anyway, number two. Yeah. I was trying to find out who played Jordan Baker, Elizabeth Debicki, and how tall she is. Six three. Oh, you go what a queen. queen. A que- like, I love her. I <laughs> we, I love that for Tobey Maguire. Yeah, I know. I know every Short scene King. when they're walking around, it was kind of comedic, but in a cute way. I know, I, now I'm, I want, like, deleted scenes with them dating, because I, I want to see my short king and my tall queen, <laughs> all right? Also, she was born in 1990. She's not that much older than us. No, she's, she's um, pretty young. She's definitely just kicking off her, her movie career. Yeah. I'm glad so, she's getting roles, too, because I, I'm yes. glad that they haven't been like, oh, she's so tall. She's going to emasculate I know, she's been our in MCU. or whatever. Wait, has she? She was the gold she was lady? Aisha. Who? Oh. 
Oh, I almost. She was about the gold, the leader of the gold people in Guardians of the Galaxy That's Two. Crazy. I didn't. I completely huh, forgot about that. For well, she should come back and in a more prominent role. <laughs> yes, she might be because you know Adam Warlock might show up eventually, but that's oh, for wow. that's for a ju- me and Justin episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> saw his cocoon, man. <laughs> we saw, saw the cocoon. cocoon. Listen, the post-credit scene <laughs> pushes up glasses. Um. Anyway, Elizabeth Debicki, six three. Step on me, please. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can, we can move. Away. We can move on now. That's that. That's why I was quiet. Was uh, you know what? She's got two legs. Count me in. <laughs> Stepping on Justin and Caleb with one leg each. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, I'm having a civilized conversation with her. Um, <laughs> no, no, she she's gorgeous, and uh, she's a really good actress too. Um, I really liked her in this role. Uh, <laughs> she was so confusing because she was like kind of the sprightly presence who just kind of like randomly just does stuff and like <laughs> goes wherever the wind takes her. So she's like essence of flapper sort of. <laughs> um, and she has that I... ideal flapper body, which is like super tall, thin, like kind of androgynous, like really great. What, Justin? Sorry. I, I-, I love when... Uh, shit is hitting the fan in that uh, hotel room between uh, Gatsby and Tom and Daisy and she Jordan is just sitting there like she, giving Nick the like what the fuck <laughs> it's so funny her facial reaction not supposed to be great. but it's hilarious yeah right and then like the, after like Gatsby freaks out at him she's just like sitting there like what did I get She's just into? enjoying it. Which, speaking of that scene, at the at the very end when like Gatsby and da- Gatsby's trying to have it all out, like Daisy, tell Tom you never loved him, all et cetera, et cetera. Um, Tom is just enjoying that entirely uh, too much. He's so hateable, he and yet he's really doing a great job. Like I feel like, and that's is. Joel Edgerton in every movie. Like jo- he never plays likable characters. Uh, he's so good like, in this he's role. So good at it. Because uh, you don't want to like him. <laughs> you right. want to hate him from the moment you meet him. But then in this scene, he's having such a good time. You're like everything should be against him, and yet he still feels like the cards are in his favor. And he's right. Right. Like I. He's, he's He's an old money, rich, white American dude. Like, he knows that whatever happens, like, it's gonna, the the chips are gonna be on his side. He has, like, a split second of worry where he's like, Daisy, like... You know, where he's actually concerned yeah. Daisy might leave him for Gatsby. Right. But then, like, there's, there's a moment not very far into the scene where that flips and Tom is just totally in control. Tom doesn't care. He doesn't care that this dude's been boinking his wife. Because like, he's been boinking some other chicks. Lose, he has gotten honestly. headlines in yeah. the news. He has had to move <laughs> because of his affairs. Yeah. And so, like, as soon as he... It, it comes out, it's he's already suspected that Daisy has been sleeping with Gatsby. And so he's a little nervous. He think he he worries, but then like there's just a point where he's like, "Nah, it's okay. It doesn't matter." And he's just having way too much fun in that scene, fucking with Gatsby. I know. And it's a it's, it's a great scene because as you watch it, yeah. it is stressful to watch. Yes, absolutely. But you're also like totally just in in absorbed in this and you're like how is this gonna play out i honestly have no idea why is tom so confident and then like his confidence is proven right and it all comes down to daisy in that and it's sad like to say but like it's like 
Gatsby has this idealized version of Daisy that is like that he's kind of built up in his mind of like his great love and that she's mm-hmm. going to denounce Tom. She's going to like leave all of it behind for him. And like because he remembers her before all that happened. And like that was the version of her that he fell in love with. Meanwhile, Tom knows kind of the sad, unfortunate reality that sh- is that she's become such a passive person that is just like willing to agree with the path of least resistance, whatever it is. And Tom that's knows true. that, and he's using it. That's to his a good advantage. point. I hadn't considered that the path of least resistance, and also no, that's her entire that character. Gatsby yeah. needs her. Gatsby needs her to admit that she never loved that Tom. That is so interesting. But we to know. Me. Th- it- Reality is never so black and white. Right, exactly, but he needs it to be. What, he, Justin? Well, Sorry. That's really, that's really yeah. the moment where Tom uh, gets his power back, is he yeah. realizes, like, Gatsby is asking something uh, that he of Daisy that Tom knows Daisy yep. can't give up, because mm-hmm. Tom knows Daisy is an actual person and not a fucking fairy tale character. Right, um, and... And he sees that Gatsby's entire stance, like... The foundation he's built on is just, and that's that. This nothing. entire the entire story to me hinges on the line that Nick has, kind of almost a throwaway line where he says, "Like Gatsby had a great vi- had a grand vision of his life and Daisy's part in it," Ooh. and it's Ooh. like that's and that's the entire essence of his character is that everything has to go according to that plan, and that's what ends up destroying him right like is that he and you know as they say like daisy represents the american dream she represents the ability of someone who comes from nothing to better themselves or that's the myth anyway and and so gatsby has this whole idea that he and he says it too he says my the the trajectory of my life has to be like this and he like motions upward like he has to always be ascending. Everything has to get better and better. It can't. He can't compromise, you know. Um, and so he can't compromise with Daisy. He can't allow her to say, "I love you now," but I loved Tom for a while. You know, it, mm. it has to be. It was always just you and me. There was never ever any other part and, of your and life. He can't. He he can't right. accept anything other than that. Right. Which doesn't allow for the gray. Yeah. That is real life. Right. Like. Right. Tom might be a douche. He might cheat on her. He might just be some rich guy who bought a pretty girl to be his wife. But also, there were moments where she loved him, and and that's what complicates and, it. And, and he can't accept Gatsby's that. Gatsby's vision for his life does not allow for that. His vision is absolute. It is black and white, right. which is interesting, given the fact that he is someone who made his money <laughs> in a, as a, a pretty bootlegger, gray way. Yeah, which is very gray. The yeah. what's the line? The 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 pla- the the law had backfired, which made the booze yeah. cheaper. Yeah. Um, morals were looser. <laughs> morals were looser, and and so he made all of right. his money as. Some other guys made man, mm-hmm. you know, on on the the liquor, the black market. But he he um, always kept it secret. He couldn't be open about that. He and even with Daisy, like he had to preserve some idea of himself as the the ideal self made American man. Right. The only person he was open with was Nick, um, which 
Seems talk, pretty gay, let's, man. No, let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about Gatsby and Nick. Yes. Um, Interesting relationship So, here. Nick is our narrator. He is our point of view character for most of the story. Um, he is a... He wants to be a novelist. He moves to New York to attempt to gain some money working as a broker on the stock market. Um... Because that's where all the money is. And he, he rents a cottage right next to Gatsby's palace. God, I wish that were me. I know, right? right? Um, <laughs> Living 20 miles from New York next to a guy who throws parties all the time. Um, hell um, yeah. <laughs> and Gatsby takes special interest in him. And that, like to the point that Nick is the only person to have ever received a specific invitation to one of Gatsby's parties. Um, when Gatsby asks a favor of Nick in inviting Daisy over for tea and Gatsby offers Nick a potentially lucrative position as a man in his, in his business, you know, in the, in the black market of liquor. Um, and Nick turns it down. He says, no, I'm just doing you a favor. Kind of a heartbreaking and scene in and of itself because Gatsby's it, yeah. like, I, I, I could do this for you. I can get you this position. It it's is, like, it's just a thing that one person that's, does for another. But that's one thing I, I love about the relationship. <laughs> right. And that, so Gatsby from the very beginning has this instinct about Nick and, and that he is someone that he should make a connection with. Probably initially knowing just because he's Daisy's cousin. Right. Right. Um, yeah. We can we can assume that that's why, and that the re- we know he's connected enough, right? Definitely. We know the reason Gatsby's been throwing all of these lavish parties every weekend is because he's hoping Daisy will wander in one day, and then her cousin moves in next door, right? Prime so exactly prime opportunity, and but then as soon as Gatsby asks, asks a favor of Nick. And he offers to repay it with a potentially very lucrative um, job or position. And Nick turns it down and says, "No, I'm just I'm just doing you a favor." In that moment, that like their relationship changes, right. and Gatsby realizes this is someone who I can actually trust. Oh, this an is actual someone... friend. Never had one of those. Right, before. an actual friend. This is the first person <laughs> yeah. I have encountered. Since the death of my mentor, yep. I don't know what the time span is. What is it? Five years? It hasn't Something actually been like that, that long. It feels so it's, long it, because so much has happened. It hasn't but, been yeah. that many years, but this is the first person that he's met in so long mm-hmm. that when he asks her a favor, they don't expect repayment. Right. And so that's why Nick becomes his confidant and why he tells Nick the truth of his backstory and everything. Um Yes. And it's nice. I really love their dynamic. I, I like that transition yeah. where you you see it, too. It's very clear. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio is great in this role. And so, okay, I'm just going to talk about the cast for a minute. The <laughs> cast of this movie, everyone is fantastically cast, okay? Yes. Every single role feels just right. Like, Unlike Romeo and Juliet, I don't have any problems where I'm like, this person clearly isn't uh, getting the memo. Uh-huh. No, everyone is great. Toby yes. Maguire is Nick. Mwah! Revelation. Yes. I love him. No, I, I Leonardo DiCaprio as Gatsby. Great. Mm-hmm. Daisy, so good. Um, I just, it's, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan. They're just, yep. it's, uh, they're all, they know exactly what they're here to do. 
and they're all at like the height of their craft. Like Leo yeah. is a much more well-defined actor than he was the decade prior. So is Toby. Yeah. Yes, they he's have... acting with a capital A a little yes. bit more. They here. have found their places. <laughs> they have they have found themselves as actors, and they're like just diving into these roles and their deliveries and their. It's so good. No, I agree. I I think, yeah, I think it's really good. And even, like, yeah, like, Tobey Maguire as Nick, like, this is such an odd role because Nick is so, he can be such a a blank slate character. But um, I think, I think Tobey Maguire imbues him with a certain life and kind of an energy where you actually, he seems like he's really perceiving things that are happening around him as opposed to just being there. Look, I... Only someone who could have played... Okay, it is not a coincidence that the man who played Peter Parker very well... <laughs> you knew, I was like, this motherfucker's about to talk about Spider-Man. You knew I was about to talk about Spider-Man. <laughs> Only someone who could have played Peter Parker as well as he did mm. could play the character of Nick as well as he did. Hmm, interesting. There's a certain blank slateness. Hmm. There's a certain every man nothingness that you can imbue into it that like ah it's well, it's a particular type of actor yes. who can do that so nick is a character the thing about nick is that if we're to look at all these characters as symbols of something you know daisy as a symbol of the elusive american dream tom as a symbol of you know the entrenched powers of capitalism and old money so forth and Oldest so on balls. <laughs> balls. um <laughs> Nick is is truth, you know. Nick is in a way objectivism. The corruption of innocence. Well, yeah, Nick is, and the blank slateness is the whole point. Like, I believe his first line, which I can't quote verbatim, is something about reserving judgment until you like learn more about a person, as as an attitude that he adopts in his dealings with people, and you kind of see that uh, uh, personified within his character. He. And that's part of why you get the sense that Gatsby so badly wants to impress him. He he perceives him as a conveyor of truth. Um, as, he is uncorrupted. Yeah. Right, as an uncorruptible observer who tells the truth about people and what is. What Would you like me to read the line? Yes, read the line, I have please. the screenplay pulled up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please do. In my younger and more vulnerable years, my father gave me some advice. Always try to see the best in people, he would say. Mm. As a consequence, I'm inclined to reserve all judgments. But even I have a limit. Oh, oh, see, I love that. That in there embodied is the entire tone of the of the novel. Could I continue? To the, no, no, please uh, do. The, ne- on, the next line is unrelated to the conversation, but I oh. love it so much. Back then, all of us drank too much. The more in tune with the times we were, the more we drank, and none of us contributed anything new. Oh. Well, you know, <sighs> 20s are gonna 20s. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> the, the 20s. Your 20s are your time for drinking too much and repeating things that you've heard half accurately, right? <laughs> I... You read things and you learn things and you don't fully understand them and you repeat them with the confidence oh, that you yeah. shouldn't have, with an unearned confidence. Oh, how about I, that line that's like the formidable stroke of 30 died away, the the promise of a decade of loneliness. 
don't do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, don't, don't say do that. that don't say that. That's yes. okay, buddy. You got ten months. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! The remainder of this episode will be brought to you by whiskey. <laughs> whiskey. Drink it when you're sick. No. Oh. Unless you have an actual problem, in which case get help. And if you're sober, good for you. I'm very proud of you. <laughs> yes. what, were we, what were we talking okay, about before so anyways, we ruffling ruffles right. through Stephanie's notes? Ruffles through papers. Yeah, um, Kelp's gonna consult my notes. <laughs> um, gosh, yeah. Just I, I almost wish we could go beat by beat with this, like we, or like I wish we could with Romeo and Juliet, just because every scene is so fun. Like I, I don't know, just everything's great. Uh, the way his, okay, I love Baz Luhrmann. I love his party scenes. Oh, I yeah. love the etherealness of them that they all have the sense of one having just taken drugs and frequently exactly. like in Moulin Rouge or Romeo and Juliet you have just taken drugs and or everything seems so Gatsby amazing too. like yes everything seems so cool and lively and 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 transgressive and just like you're discovering something new and you know in every single one of oh those God. cases the the we, we are yeah. in Romeo and Juliet that was yeah. presumably Romeo's first time doing that drug oh, in yeah. all of those parties and then He's in Moulin, yeah. Moulin Rouge um, what's what's his name? What's Ewan McGregor's character's name? Christian. Christian. Christian is new to the Moulin Rouge. He's new to that life. Yeah. And then when he goes to the party on absent, that's yeah. his first time. And then in Great Gatsby, Gary. Nick shows up at Gatsby's party, yeah. and that's yeah. it's all new. It, the, yeah, it's big virgin energy. <laughs> <laughs> right? Which we love our, that the, representation. Yes, exactly. We love a movie I, uh, over here. I Which love at the first big party. I love Jordan's line about uh, I, I'm paraphrasing, where she says um, he throws large parties and I enjoy large parties. They're so intimate. Uh, they're, yeah. They're so intimate. Um, there's no at small parties. There's no privacy. Right. Exactly. Like I get That's that, so and my God, I want to go to a big I party. Know. Uh, that's so real because yeah it's like small parties like everyone's kind of and you see an example of that later with all of them like sitting around together and like having to see each other's shit just like playing out like that oh that's true that that statement really does come come up that's a small party no privacy there like and yet uh, in a big party it's like there's just a writhing mass of just like people just and you seeing people at their not exactly lowest necessarily, but at their craziest. <laughs> uh, man, it is it is like gross and sweaty and God, I want it. I know, I know. <laughs> like looking at it, I had two thoughts. One thought was the COVID right now. Uh, and just, the second like, thought was, God, I wish that yeah, were me. The second thought was, please, <laughs> I need to be at this party. I just crave the writhing mass of humanity. Like it's, it's excellent. And it's right. And even that you do see as kind of a conduit for intimacy because Nick first meeting Gatsby there and he's just quietly slipping through the crowd because no one notices, you know, no one expects it to be him. He's just arriving without pomp or circumstance, just another person. Um, And then later on when at another party, when Gatsby and Daisy are dancing it, no one's really paying attention to them because they're just two more people amid the crowd. And um, <laughs> even other people, such as Tom, can skip away with the actress who's making eyes at him and no one's going to notice that. <laughs> like, it, I didn't notice that. Oh, you didn't? She was making eyes at him? No, that was Chekhov's actress. Um, what? The first... No, this was an actual thing. In the first party scene, they 
mentioned I don't remember what her name was. Yeah, Gatsby mentions her and and, and um Daisy's a, like, a Oh, I'm such actress. a big fan of hers. Right, right. And then at the next party where after Gatsby asks Daisy to dance, Tom is like making eyes with the actress and they're like kind of exchanging eye contact and then she kinda of walks off and looks at him over her shoulder and he follows her. What? He follows her even while talking about like, Oh, I wonder how Daisy met that I guy. Don't, I don't remember this at yeah, all. That, right. Uh, yeah. uh, the moment Tom tells Nick, I'll find you. He's going off to bang the Right, actor. exactly. What? And so he's like, I know yeah. how did I not pick up on that? No, it's just more evidence of this Tom like being the, a scumbag. This is like the fifth time I've watched this movie and I didn't I what? No, no, it shows her several times, yeah. And no, he... I know it shows her, and, like, there's a scene where it shows Tom and Nick following her, like, up a staircase, and they're yes. not even talking and to her. and then she, like, walks away and, like, gives him a look, like, all right, come I, on, and he's I, like, f- okay. What? Yeah. What? Blowing Caleb's mind over uh, with the revelation of uh, Tom Buchanan's uh, infidelities. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> with the infidelity and the... Oy. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. You're telling me that woman beating piece of shit oh, no. slept with multiple women? Boo? <laughs> right, for a split second, I was like, wait, did he? And then I was like, oh, right. He wouldn't lay a hand on Daisy, but his mistress, it's okay to beat her because she's lower no, class. No, I legitimately <laughs> thought that he was, like, leaving Nick to go search the party for Daisy. No, he was going off to bank this chick. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, let's move on from this. Yeah, yeah. Let's move on to something I alluded to earlier. Okay, yes. The main problem, the main conceit, the thing that someone can point to in this movie that is similar to Ro- Romeo and Juliet, where it's like, ugh, it all revolves around this one mm, thing. The tragedy. Is, no, 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 no. Oh, never The mind. rich people oh, deciding yeah. to drive each other's cars. <laughs> That singular plot point that the whole, the entire movie revolves around, the entire ending tragedy revolves around the point where Tom is like, hey, why don't we drive each other's cars? It'll be a gas. This must have been, (laughs) this must have been a thing that rich people did in the day. Sure. I think it was. Why not? I think it was just the ease with which they say it. That. I don't really... I don't understand the intention of that because, like, it was definitely there was some sort of pissing contest going on oh, there. Absolutely. And, but I don't under is it like I can drive your car better than you can drive? I, yeah, I, I don't I, know. I don't understand I don't, my gender exactly. Like, like <laughs> I, from I. my perspective, I guess Gatsby's car was cooler because it was completely custom. I don't know, <laughs> but I like just that singular moment where Tom's like, "Hey." why don't you drive my car and I'll drive yours? And then that ends up being the reason that, like, a woman ends up dead and then subsequently Gatsby ends up dead. Yeah. It's because Tom was like, hey, why don't we swap cars, which is totally a normal thing that normal people do. I I have to think that this was a thing back in the day. And also the weird thing of, like, even before the whole revelation of Gazy uh, and Gatsby, uh, Daisy and Gatsby <laughs> being a thing comes out. They're like, oh, why doesn't Daisy go with Gatsby? And then Tom randomly goes with Nick and Jordan. And it's like, well, why'd you do that? And it makes me think that maybe that's just a thing that rich people did at parties to, like, mix it up a little I, bit. Maybe. I just, I, the only time I have driven a friend's car is when he was too drunk to drive. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, I don't, it's weird. 
it's a strange moment. It's a strange plot point for the finale to revolve around. But it is, it that's it. That is the moment. Mm-hmm. That is the thing. Yeah. Because Tom Tom goes by driving Gatsby's car. He stops for gas. His mistress his mistress sees that he is in the yellow car. Mm-hmm. He leaves. Later, Gatsby is driving his car, the yellow car. Tom's mistress sees the car, assumes Tom is in it, and is like, Hey, wait for me. Don't leave without me. And then Gatsby's like, what is happening? Actually, no, Daisy is driving. Right. So Daisy is, does Daisy intentionally hit her or is it an accident? No, I don't think that's meant to be implied. So Tom's mistress runs out in front of the car, assuming Tom will stop because she's his mistress. Daisy isn't driving safely because she's in a state of emotional chaos. Right. So she is a a distraught woman, obviously. She's the most unsafe driver there is. (laughs) Exactly. Um, And so she just runs right into her husband's mistress and everything works out A-OK for her because guess what? Gatsby takes the blame because he is a gentleman. I know, and Tom's mistress's husband murders Gatsby <laughs> because Tom convinces his mistress's husband that his mistress has been sleeping with Gatsby instead of him this entire time. Uh, man, <laughs> everybody fucking sucks. Yeah, and and the worst part of it is that Tom and Daisy get away with it all. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. they were careless people, Tom and Daisy. They retreated into their vast carelessness and their money. I would love to see in universe after Nick's book comes out what goes down. Nothing. Probably you want to know why? Yeah. Because Tom Buchanan is the son of one of the richest families in America and That's has true. a really, really good lawyer. Right. Yep. Uh, yep. man, because like Tom sucks for obvious reasons uh daisy sucks for ways i can't fully articulate (laughs) no she's a very interesting character because like in a way to me she represents what happens to so many women is that they just uh become entirely like passive people who Mm -hmm. become completely subsumed Mm -hmm. within the identity of of the men that in their life yeah no i like daisy i don't blame her for anything that she does right she's she's like a victim and villain like weirdly enough it's like she she is completely sympathetic but then at when everything goes down she is completely okay with letting gatsby's name Right, she can't be active in anything. She's she's too much become just like the what she's become like the worst version of what like a rich woman's supposed to be, which is like a completely passive like object mm-hmm. who just kind of agrees to do whatever men, you know, and her family right. says that she should do. Which and there even there even is that scene where Tom's just like, you know, this this is the story. This is what happened. We're gonna leave. Like. She's just uh, going with what the man she's with is saying to go with. Um, Gatsby sucks in a way that we don't ever see him because he's built this wall around himself. Uh, But when you realize what he's done, like he, all of his money is blood money. He did it for noble intentions? (laughs) Question mark? But all of his money... 
all of his money is blood money and he's he's controlling in a way that he's not using uh physical abuse but he has unrealistic expectations for a human yeah. and is trying like actively trying to get daisy like no 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 that's not how you feel this is how right, you feel right right the blah, ideal blah. is to a fault Everybody but Jordan and Nick sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it, and it's very interesting because it's like, uh, yeah, Gatsby also is an example of like an extremely sympathetic character, and yet one who you're like, man, what are you doing? Like, right, there, it's, yeah. it's not until the the scene with where he's trying to get Daisy to confess that she never loved Tom. It's not until that moment that you don't side with him. Right, and then the at that point you're is, like, uh, this, uh, I don't know. Yeah, he is totally sympathetic doing? up until that point where he's trying, he is telling Daisy how, I'm sorry, I have the hiccups. <laughs> he is telling Daisy how she feels, and that is the first time where you're like, oh, Gatsby. And then, like, when right. he snaps on Tom. And is about to just whoop his ass, which he totally should have. Yeah, like, I mean, to be fair, we I'm, would like, all I'm support sorry. him. If if he go if he got to that point, he should have just broken Tom's nose. I mean, come on, there's yeah. some no cost fallacy, sad. right? Yeah. Like <laughs> I <laughs> just saying. Uh, no, as I mentioned, he has that he has that wall uh, built around himself where he feels disconnected from every awful thing that he's done. So um, when he when he grabs Tom. And Nick says he looked as if he murdered a man. It's because the entire barrier he had built around himself had just collapsed. And he was faced with the truth about what he has been doing this whole time. Mm-hmm. And it it breaks him. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's yeah, the sad to watch, civility. but at the same time, I'm like... That's what you get when you're a mobster. Yeah, but <laughs> let's, let's for a second remember that we're talking about a man... Who survived the horrors of World War One yeah, to be with this here. woman? Yeah. To find out that she's with this man of no substance, mm. of no morals. No, who like publicly I, cheats on her pu- frequently? Publicly yeah. has to move frequently because his his infidelity makes front page news. Well, World War One. <laughs> okay, my no, man don't was in the. Tr- talking about World War One. My man was in the trenches for years. I'm sorry. I would have felt zero sympathy if he just killed Tom right then and there. <laughs> my man deserves some Honestly, solace. Honestly, uh, the events would have played out. The events would have played out pretty much the same. Yeah. If we would have done that, it just would have been someone else would have killed him, other than. Yeah. Uh, what's his fuck? I don't even know that character's name. Wilson. Tom's mistress's husband. Thank um, you. Um, and Thank what's you. interesting about that is what ends up happening is Gatsby taking the fall for all, all the shit that other people did. Um, taking the fall for the old money. Right, which is interesting in and of itself, and it's like that's kind of his last act of, of nobility is taking the, the fall, fall for Daisy. Daisy. Um, for what she did and and because he's so caught up in this romantic dream of his that that they're going to be together and she's going to leave it all behind he thinks well I'll just take the fall for it it'll be fine and yet that's exactly what kills him and that last scene 
that last scene uh, where he's swimming in the pool and he steps out of the pool or he pulls comes out of the pool and he hears the phone ringing and he is he thinks it's Daisy and then he gets shot dead and then the reveal that it wasn't Daisy at all it that it was just Daisy. Nick calling to check on him he died thinking that Daisy had actually decided to leave Tom to yeah. be with him and you know what you you would rather it be that way. No, yeah. You would rather Gatsby die thinking that Daisy was about to leave Tom for him right. than him to live and find out the truth. Well, it's less tragic than Romeo dying knowing that he killed himself for nothing because Juliet's still alive. Like, that's that's way fucking Ugh. sadder because at least when Gatsby died, he thought... He, he died happy in a way because he thought that, like, Daisy really was gonna be with him, even though we know, as the viewer, that, like, that's not gonna fucking happen because she's always gonna choose the path of least resistance. Like, uh, yeah. unlike the Juliets of the world, she's not gonna throw it all away for love. Like, she she's gonna do the opposite of that. Which, again, I, I feel like Daisy was ready to... Like, she would have left Tom, but uh, Gatsby just wasn't giving her any uh, uh, agency in it. It was like, here's how you have to love me, and I will accept nothing else. And, oh, God. It was the grand vision. Oh, my feelings. That's what did him in. (laughs) These movies are so good. (laughs) (laughs) They make me feel things. Oh, no, not the feelings Ugh. it's almost like a really good director made films out of really good stories. yes i know wow wow weird happens. i know movies <laughs> <laughs> yes no they're they're both really good and and really just really romantic in their own ways you know and and in really sad Sad, tragic Immensely ways. sad, tragic ways. Exactly, but but that's what we love. But about like, I it. keep watching them. I know that's the <laughs> you keep returning to it every time, and every time you get that brief feeling of, but what if it worked out this oh, time? You get that. You get that brief sense of yes. being a teenager. Yep. And you know. Yep. And uh, and just and just like feeling so in love that it feels like nothing else could ever exist, like nothing else can ever happen like <laughs> i can't say th- i don't know if i can say that about any other director right and that's what that's what i love so much about these movies is that they feel so so breathtakingly sincere in in showing just like unabashed love and and mm-hmm. just complete like I don't know the the absence of irony and parody and whatever, yeah. like which I really appreciate because <laughs> despite my own irony poisoning, <laughs> um, <laughs> which has happened to a lot of us in this age, there's just something about like seeing just an unironic celebration of of just like. Yeah, of young love, of idealistic love, and of how the tragedy of that too, and and that's something that these movies have in common is that that kind of pure reckless love is something that often can't survive in in the world. Like 
but it's not presented in a way that it's like, aren't you stupid to love that way? It's more like, isn't the world pretty shitty that it does this to people? Right. (laughs) Which is true. Uh, Look, man. Like, man, I get it. (laughs) I grew up in the 90s. I love my lathered on cynicism yeah. as much as the yeah. next person, but sometimes you gotta let that the fuck no, go. No, exactly. You gotta <laughs> yeah. let it go. So, look, we we all watch seasons one through three of Rick and Morty, but you know sometimes <laughs> you just gotta, you know, stop watching Rick and Morty. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> sometimes uh. we grow beyond. Yeah. Well, and and look. see, that's something that I like about specifically the romantic tragedy is that it's it's such a balance of cynicism about the cruelty of the world but sincerity about the the beauty of human feeling yeah. and it's like yeah. it's it doesn't feel unrealistic because it feels real in that like this is often what happens to like to people this is what happens to human beings who are born you know pure and hopeful and like this is what the world does to them the world and its systems and its classism and its capitalism and and every other thing like this is what happens to people but it never shames people for for feeling as they do and for existing as they do and it's like yes like young people their relationships may not last but it isn't stupid to feel that way it isn't stupid to fall in love and it isn't stupid to feel hope for your life like to feel that you can achieve more and that you can be more like and like foolish maybe but stupid no <laughs> like, if that makes sense like <laughs> there is a stark difference between right that. right exactly that was beautifully spoken right as always definitely. and that's yeah that's what i love i love i love love <laughs> and i i i love that kind of pure celebration of the human experience and mm. that's what these movies give us yeah feel your feelings everybody i feel your exactly. feelings. i think that's as good a place to end on as any it is i i i, I could say more but but it would why, take too why, long why yeah. why further gild the lily oh you know but but i want to <laughs> <laughs> yes there are lilies to be gilded i know so many <laughs> but, justin um, any more thoughts yep uh i i've said my piece stephanie uh, <laughs> Movies good. Yeah, movies good. Romance movies good. good. Stephanie. <laughs> Freedom, beauty, truth, truth and, love. and love. Oh wait, that's that's Mullen Rouge. We'll get to that. But yeah, just um we hope you've enjoyed this Valentine's month with us. We hope that you well, we have. come away believing in in the purity of love and and the the excellence of cinema. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> the, the joys of unapologetic stylism and surrealism. Amen. And, and 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 just the things that movies can do, the things that movies can make us feel. We we love those and that's why we're here. My name is Caleb. You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at actual underscore Caleb. My name's Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Steph Has No Name and on Letterboxd at Raise Left Boob. <laughs> 
My name's Justin. You can find me on most social media at Blame It On Butler. Um, we have a sister podcast now. If you're interested in ufology, cryptozoology, or anything spooky, please follow us on Twitter at I Hope You Exist. Great name. In the meantime, Love you can find us this show on Twitter at Sounds Familiar. Yes, you can. And you can find Justin Butler. What? Wait, didn't he already say it? Did he say it? Oh, did I'm such a it? fool. I don't think he did. Oh, dude. dude. I got my no, I got the social media shit. Ah, down, he's got it friend. down. I'm just a fool. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Stay in love, friends. I love you. Thank you so much for listening to our show. You can find us online on Twitter and Instagram at Sounds Familiar. If you'd like to get in contact with us, drop us a line at soundsfamiliar at gmail.com. We'd like to thank our friend Chelsea for our logo. Be sure to check her out on Instagram at ChelseaBHDesigns. We'd also like to thank Shane Quick for our theme music. If you feel so inclined, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for new episodes. We'll see you next time on Sounds Familiar.